Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and or back to the Equitheory podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese, and this week's episode is going to be a Patreon question episode. So I have nine of my patrons that have asked me a bunch of different training questions. So I'm going to read you guys those questions and answer them. So let's just jump into it. Here we go. Alrighty, guys, before we get into it, I got to do my little Patreon ad. As this is a Patreon episode, I think it's pretty relevant, and you guys will get to get a feel for what it's like to be a Patreon, uh, or a patron, I guess. But essentially, there are a bunch of different tiers. You can either join at whatever amount you would like, or you can join at the tiers that I have set up, $5 through $35, and at each of those tiers... <coughs> That's me choking. <laughs> I don't know. I've got like a tickle in my throat and it just about killed me and I'm not cutting that out. (laughs) At each of the different uh, predetermined tiers, you have access to a bunch of different benefits. At the basic tier, you have the access to our Discord server where you can ask everybody else who listens to the podcast and is a patron um, a bunch of different questions and just have a little community where you can share things that you're doing with your horses and all that good stuff. Um, and you'll have access to that at every tier. The other perk that you have at the $5 tier is to ask one question, and that way you can get it answered on the podcast. And then at the $10 tier and up, you can ask how many ever questions you want. You have access to our live Zoom Q&A meetings and some other benefits. And then as the tiers rise in price, you also get to have phone call consults with me and your choice of it being on the podcast or private. And then at the $35 tier, you can send me up to 30 minutes of footage of you working with your horse, and I will review it, tell you what I think, what you can do uh, to improve, and what you're doing super well. So uh, it's up to you how much you want to send all at once. If you want to send a full 30 minutes, go for it. If you want to break it down into, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes throughout the whole month, you are welcome to do that as well. So with that said, that is the end of our Patreon ad, I guess. Um, So yeah, just visit patreon.com slash equitheory and you can browse through your options. But I am going to go ahead and get into these questions because I just found out that I have to, um, or Irish Astro's nurse mare mom is leaving tomorrow and we have had them successfully weaned we did it very slowly so nobody had any screaming fits but she does have to leave tomorrow and our plan just got screwed up so after i record this i have to go drive to my boss's house get her truck come back hook it up so that we can leave early in the morning and then i have to pick her up and then it's a whole whole thing so (laughs) i'm trying to knock this episode out because as per usual i waited until the last minute to do it but I like to wait on the Patreon questions because people tend to send them to me like the day before I have to record and I'm like, I want to get them all in one go. And I do have quite a few today, so I'm going to try to bust these out. So anyway, question number one comes from patron Charlotte. She writes, 
Um, hi, my name is Charlotte, and I'm an assistant trainer at a hunter-jumper barn and an instructor at another barn where I teach eventing, dressage, and basic western. Back in August, I decided to switch uh, with my personal horses to positive reinforcement and in the future hope to work professionally using it. I transitioned my baby, a three-and-a-half-year-old off-the-track thoroughbred gelding named Max, fully back then. Uh, with my older horse, Mia, an 11-year-old Connemara Cross, I only began transitioning her in October when I could move her closer to home after choosing to semi-retire her due to various arthritis issues. Thanks to your advocacy, I actually had her checked for kissing spine, but thankfully that is not on our long list of problems. Yay. I am having some issues with aggression with Max, and if you remember, he is the three-and-a-half-year-old. Um... I know that he is probably, or this is probably the wrong way of framing it, but I'm not sure what else to call it. The whole time I've had him, I've been grooming him while he eats his grain. Um, A while ago, I was currying his legs, and he suddenly turned and bopped his butt. And wait, he suddenly turned and I bopped his butt as a trained negative reinforcement reflex I had. I literally did it before I even thought, and he kicked me twice? Ow. Oh my god. Dude. Sorry, I haven't had time to like really review all of these, so I'm actually reacting to this for the first time, and that is that is intense. Um, but I, I do want to point out, I know what you mean, that it's a negative reinforcement reflex, but I think you mean traditional training reflex, because that's actually positive punishment. You're adding something aversive. Um, so you're recurring his legs, and he suddenly turned, and you bopped his butt as punishment um, before you could even think, and he kicked you twice. That, ouch, oh my god. Um, okay, continuing the email. I was cautious about grooming him and had him checked for ulcers just in case while he... Um, but I didn't have any issues for a long time. Recently, this behavior has started again. When I get near him while he's eating his grain, he pins his ears and threatens to kick me. I've also noticed that this behavior, um, that his behavior in the field has changed as he's been resource guarding in the pasture more strongly, i.e. running the other horses off the hay instead of being the one moved off. I really wish I could get my horses on free choice hay, but unfortunately I have no control over their hay and they are fed what um, what is the kind of max I have seen in my in pastures in my area okay um i think he is resource guarding the grain for me and i have made the decision to not try and groom him while he eats anymore that's probably a good call um continuing here this seems pretty understandable to me and while i wish he um okay it appears that my cat sat on my keyboard (laughs) and deleted half of that um i am assuming You mean he wouldn't care, (laughs) but I can also understand. However, I have two days ago, um, about two... Oh my god, I can't read. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, However, about two days ago, this behavior seemed to translate into the arena. I went near him while he was eating, and he tried to kick me. I wasn't going to groom, just walking to grab something. After he was finished eating, I groomed him, and he seemed totally fine. Then I took him to the arena and worked at Liberty on targeting cones. He seemed a bit distracted overall, but pretty good. Um, or he seemed a bit, oh my god, why am I so dyslexic today? He seemed a bit distracted, but overall pretty good. Then I noticed that he was pinning his ears, and he swung his butt at me like he was going to kick me. I walked away, and he chased me. Well, I, I want to know what happened before, um, he pinned his ears, but, um, okay. I walked away, and he chased me. I felt in danger of being kicked, so I hopped out of the arena. I went back about ten minutes later and worked on the same... Uh, targeting, but this time in a halter, and he was perfect. I'm not sure what happened, but I hate feeling like I'm in danger around my own personal horse. What can be done when signals of aggressive behaviors are seen in terms of plus R 
Um, I don't know what to do other than just walk away, but what I, or main, oh my God, what mainly I feel is that I'm not enjoying working with him as much as my other horse because always in the back of my mind is I'm afraid of being kicked. Okay, so that is the end of the email um, or the message, and I have a lot of thoughts, and I do just want to say first that, um, you know, as always in these episodes, I have no way of knowing for sure. All I have to go off of is what um, what I get in a message. So from what patron Charlotte says, um, I have a few hypotheses, but I would have to see the horse work with him and um, know a little bit more about his history before getting into it. So um, he is a young horse. He's a three and a half year old off the track named Max. That's where we start. And, um, she says that she decided to switch back in August, um, to work with him with positive reinforcement. So sometimes what can happen is, um, and we've talked about learned helplessness before. And so again, I don't know his history or anything like that. Um, Charlotte doesn't really detail what his past was like. So it's hard to know, but, um, you know, there are some things that typically happen on a racetrack. And, um, so it's, it's pretty safe to assume a little bit of history there with being traditional and the type of punishment that happens, um, you know, for young horses, they're often chains and, um, you know, grooms that work with a bunch of different horses, all on the same day, so they don't really have time to do the actual training and not necessarily the knowledge. So it's it's often just kind of brute force, <laughs> you know, and everybody's different. But anyway, for the sake of answering this question, it's highly likely um, that he was kind of, we'll say, put in his place at the track. And then you got him and everything was great until you offered him an option. And now that he knows that you're not going to do anything, um, he's sort of ensuring that it won't happen again. And I realize that's anthropomorphic language, but you know, it helps, it helps conceptualize the situation. Okay. So what can happen is when a horse is put into learned helplessness, um, it can happen from, you know, anytime they pin their ears and say they get punished for it by being bopped in the nose or shanked or backed up or whatever. Um, that is punishment. That is telling the horse that behavior is not okay. That behavior will earn you this consequence. Don't do it again. And, you know, it's that's why, and I've wanted to do an episode on this um, about why punishment is so dangerous. Because when you tell a horse not to pin their ears, not to nip at you, not to, um, you know, pull their nostrils back or swish their tail at you or what have you, any of the things that people don't like horses to do, when you tell horses you're not allowed to do that anymore, you run a huge risk of creating a very, very unpredictable and dangerous animal. Because now all of a sudden you have completely exhausted your warning signals. This horse has no way of communicating to you now that um, something is making them uncomfortable, something hurts, they don't like this, and that they are, if you keep pushing, they're going to go over threshold. So this happened with Mac, um, which is odd because this one is a young off the track named Max, and I had a young off the track named Mac. And when I got him home from the track, he was brilliant and he was so quiet and chill in his pasture. And then when I actually started working with him 
and I never used any punishment with him. I was always very kind to him. It, it, the he then sort of came out because he, he understood that I, you know, anytime he would give me an inch by like, you know, pinning his ears or giving any subtle signals, I wasn't punishing him for it. And, um, you know, I might not have noticed when he did those things and kept pushing. So he realized that I wasn't going to hurt him for it and that, um, you know, he could express himself again is essentially what happens because the thing about punishment is in order to maintain the extinction of the behavior due to punishment, you have to keep punishing them. It's like how they, they talk about cats and countertops. If your cat keeps jumping on your countertop and you punish them every time, say you spray them with a water bottle and the cat jumps up on the counter, you spray them with a water bottle. You're consistent every single time. But when you're not home, the cat jumps on the counter and the cat can do whatever they would like on the counter. But when you're home, you know, they might not jump on the counter or they might continue to jump on the counter. But the punishment, you would almost have to buy one of those things. I actually saw one at PetSmart today, which is frustrating. Um, they have like a little uh, motion censored spray can to set on your countertop. So if your cat jumps on your counter, they get sprayed. I'm like, there's so many other things you can do. But anyway, um, so in order to keep that behavior gone, you have to be really diligent about punishment. So every time he pins his ears, you have to punish him in order to keep him from pinning his ears. Um, because all it takes is one time of not punishing him for pinning his ears. And then he, he learns it's like a slot machine. And, you know, you pull down and every now and again, you'll hit a jackpot and you are allowed to do it. So... An all-over-the-place explanation to say that when people stop keeping horses um, under the thumb, so to speak, of punishment, then you end up with a horse that all of the bad shit comes out. So it's it's a tricky situation because, you know, you don't want to get hurt. You've already gotten kicked and you don't want anything to get worse. And it's a really tricky, dangerous situation to be in and it sucks. And this happened with me and Mac, too. So I feel you on this, homie. It's not a fun fun place to be in. So back to Mac. He came off the trailer. He was so quiet. And I started working with him. And the first time anything happened, I took him to the arena and I set him loose to work with him at Liberty. And I'd already done protected contact work and all of that. Um, so I thought he was ready to, you know, work at Liberty. And he ran around the arena for a little bit, and I was glad to see that he was actually moving and not, like, just stiffly walking around like he was afraid to do something wrong. And so uh, he's running around and everything, and he finally slowed down, and I was like, okay, I don't want him to hurt himself. I'm going to see if I can get a lead rope back on him, take him back to his field, and we'll just keep doing some protected contact work. Um, and I walked up to him, and he, like lifted his knee to his nose and struck out at me and I was like oh shit that's not good and like it was a big clear get the fuck away from me and I was like oh my bad so I backed up and you know my heart's racing because I was like I wow I did not see that coming at all because what happened with Mac is what happens when you punish horses for having those quote-unquote nasty mare faces where they pin their ears um, and pull their nostrils back, whatever. He he learned that he was not allowed to do that. So he would just hit the ceiling of attack mode 
because he wasn't allowed to tell you in any subtle way to get away from him. So, um, and he didn't know that I would be much happier with an ear pin than the the pawing. So, um, you know, it's kind of like they, um, I don't know. It's like if you had a person that was making you uncomfortable, but you knew that things would get really bad if you politely asked them to go away. And so you would just have to wait until they were, you know, really close to you and then punch them, you know? So he, um, with him, all it took really was, and I want to be careful about this because I don't want to give the wrong impression or that I'm not taking horses that have, um, you know, that are acting out dangerous behavior seriously. So with him, there, there were only three instances where he did something like that. So there was the one in the arena. He did the same thing out in his field one time and he bit my wrist once. And every single time there were zero warning signs. He, he didn't pin his ears. Like nothing happened. He didn't even move. He just exploded in place. And luckily, I wasn't hurt badly any of the times. He, when he bit my wrist, it was like it it bruised super bad, but it didn't um, it didn't break my wrist or anything like that. <laughs> That's a super low bar. Um, but he didn't get me either of the times that he struck out. But it was definitely alarming, and my survival instincts were like, "Get the hell away from this horse, please!" Immediately. And so, essentially, what happened is I just went back to protected contact work. I did not want to, because, okay, let me back up. The reason that Mac was feeling like he had to hit 100, like he had to go all the way through the roof, was because he didn't feel safe. And protected contact offers you, not only you, the opportunity to be able to step away from the horse and be safe, but it also keeps the horse safe from you. And if horses who are like um, Mac and what sounds like Max, who are afraid of humans and feel like they they need to protect themselves. Um, I think going back to protected contact work is a really good way to keep you safe and help the horse develop trust and confidence with you. Now, obviously, if you have to lead this horse in and out of a stall to his pasture and things like that, um, you know, I understand that it's not going to work every time, but... Um, you know, when you're working with training and trying to help him develop trust and overcome things like that, I would work in protected contact for a while. And with Mac, it just sort of went away until, um, like, I don't really have a good way to um, pinpoint exactly what the change was. I just, I knew I could trust him and I wasn't afraid of him at all. Like, I knew we were good. And uh, while I would not say to rely on that all the time, um, and it is really hard to do with personal horses as well because you get your rose-colored goggles on and you're like, you want it so bad that you almost force it. But Mac wasn't mine, nor did I really want him to be mine um, because I had Zoe. And I just learned I'm not really a gelding person, apparently. But (laughs) um, I loved that horse. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to wait until, you know, there's... There hasn't been an incident for a while, and he's more confident, and he's comfortable, blah, blah, blah. So what I would say with this horse, Max, is to go back to protected contact. I would not, for a while, do anything with him while he's eating if he's feeling threatened about it. Um, you know, you, I, I think you need to build 
trust in a circumstance where he doesn't feel like he's got something he needs to protect. So only like for the first month or so, I would really only do anything with him when he doesn't have dinner, you know, or breakfast. Like he, it sounds like he's really um, sensitive about it. So I would just leave that as a thing, like his thing for right now, because you, you, I wouldn't work with building a bond and building trust until, um, or in that situation, because you're almost overcomplicating it and potentially making it worse. So, you know, it sounds like this has been a situation where this horse has been, you know, told that everybody is just going to walk all over him and he's just going to have to deal with it. And now that you're not doing that, he's like, okay, well, now I'm going to set some boundaries and you're not allowed to be near me with my food. You're going to take it from me. And it's also possible that that happened. You know, some people believe that, you know, if horses kick out or whatever, that um, taking their food away is the best answer. So it's possible that that happened um, in his past. So I would just leave the, when he's eating his dinner and breakfast to, that's just his thing for now. I would really focus on working on building a relationship and a communication system with him using things like start cues. You can teach our start buttons. I would teach him how to essentially consent to a training session. So, what that means is some people will, like I have a recent example off the top of my head, set a bucket down on the ground, and when the horse touches the bucket, they'll ask the horse to pick up his foot, and then pick out the hooves, click, set the hoof down, and treat. And then when the horse touches the bucket again, they'll go, you know, pick up the feet. Or maybe you hold out a brush And when he touches the brush, you brush him. And obviously you have to do it a few times so that the horse learns that him touching the brush is what is initiating the brushing. And then he gets a click treat for it, for allowing to be brushed. So it's, it's kind of like a chain, but you're using it as a a start button, but I would not train him to touch the brush first because that's confusing, but, um, or maybe you could, I don't know. But anyway, using start buttons, there are endless articles out there um, about how to use those and they can be really powerful in giving animals choice and feeling like they have control and autonomy over their situations because it sounds like this horse doesn't feel like he has any control at all. It feels like he's really trying to assert himself in any way that he can and it's coming out in a dangerous way and we don't like that at all. So it's dangerous for you. It's dangerous for him. He clearly doesn't feel safe. And that's really unfortunate. And I know, Charlotte, for you, that has got to be absolutely heartbreaking because you're like, no, I'm trying to do positive reinforcement and I love him. I want him to feel safe and be happy with it. I'm trying to do what's right by him and he's making it really hard. But he doesn't know that yet. It sounds like his his perception of humans is one that is based in fear and feeling controlled and he is like no that's not happening again and trust me i went through it with mac and it is rough and it sucks but if you give him some time and just start with something so easy you know a very benign day a benign time of the day when he's not doing anything you know if he's out in his field you can um you know walk up to the fence 
and offer a target. And if he comes up, click treat, blah, 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 and just work on the basics at, and just get those really solid. And you might have to do them for longer than, you know, maybe you'd like to, or most people would, but it's a trust building thing. You want to prove to him that you're consistent. And I would do it all in protected contact for quite some time, just so that neither of you feels threatened by the other's presence. And, you know, it's just, it's a tricky thing and it's going to have to be something that you, um, you really have to watch for and learn as much as you can about calming signals and appeasement behaviors, because even if he's not pinning his ears or anything before he sort of kicks out of nowhere, he might be turning his head away or scratching his nose on his leg or grazing quicker. And all of those things could be signals to you that he is trying to ask you to back off. And it's it's all contextual because obviously when a horse scratches his nose on his leg every time, it's not always uh, displacement or appeasement behavior. It's it, Sometimes they just have an itch. But a lot of times it is a displacement behavior. So if you haven't already, I would really recommend reading Language Signs and Calming Signals by Raquel Dreisma. That book is an incredible, incredible insight to equine behavior. And it kind of breaks down every every step of the way to building up to those um, explosive behaviors, the ones that are dangerous. So, um, you know, and aggression in horses comes from a place of fear every time. It's never that the horse is bad or he's dominant or he's naughty. And it sounds like you get that. Um, it sounds like he's just afraid. So I, the last thing that I would suggest for this horse would be um, having him vet checked. It's I think you said that um, you had him checked for ulcers, but um, I would I would go ahead and recheck for them, have him scoped. And also, I do want to say, I've said in previous podcast episodes that, you know, maybe scoping isn't the most necessary thing in the world, that you can just go ahead and treat for it. And then I saw this um, this post on Facebook, I think it was by some equine dentistry page, and uh, apparently horses can get these really big masses in their stomachs, and they present very similarly to ulcers. And essentially, it's like a big wad of hay and grass that just turns into this giant ball, and it can cause an impaction, and they present very similarly to ulcers. So um, I definitely redact that statement. Please don't ever listen to that. (laughs) Um, I would 100% have the horse actually scoped and checked for ulcers. Um, And, you know, there might be something else going on. Uh, I would also check his diet. And make sure that you're not feeding him anything sugary or starchy, preferably with an NSC under 20. My personal preference is around 10 or lower. And, um, you know, maybe you start looking into grain-free. Obviously not just ripping his food out from under him, and that would not solve the problem. (laughs) But um, in domestic horses, grain is a really big um, proponent for aggression because horses are not meant to be fed two to three square meals a day. They're meant to be foragers all day long. They're meant to eat and graze and it's not possible. Um, sounds like for you to do that because you can't even control the hay situation. Um, you know, and that's, that's not your fault, but 
um, you know, I think there are more things that you can do to help the grain situation. And I would just have a vet exam done. Um, you know, there might be some area of him that when you get near, since it hurts, he's protecting it. That could be one potential area, or he could have, um, ulcers or something like that. But I, I tend to lean toward, um, the, the learned helplessness, um, awakening, I guess, uh, things tend to get worse before they get better. And I think a lot of people get deterred from positive reinforcement because they run into issues like this, where the horse starts getting really, really bad. And then you're like, Oh my God, this doesn't work at all. I'm, I'm trying to be nice to him and he's not working. Clearly you do have to use punishment and you have to, you know, control the horse or they're going to rise up against you. But what's happening is that they're essentially rebelling against everything that's happened to them before. And they've learned you're not going to hurt them anymore. And now they're like, okay, well, you're not ever going to do it again. That's for damn sure. And then if you don't push through that and really develop and strengthen that trust, they don't ever get past it. Unfortunately, the only way out is through. And if you go back and you know, start hitting him and telling him no, you run the risk of getting hurt later on down the road and um, creating a horse that's just going to be stuck in learned helplessness. So and learned helplessness only takes a couple of minutes, you know, to um, to create, I guess, put into effect. It doesn't take long. Sometimes it depends on the horse and the situation, but it can happen really fast. And so I mean, especially being at the track, there's a likely possibility that that's what happened. And now you're just seeing him come out of that. I I tend to look at it as a good sign that these horses are learning that I'm not going to hurt them anymore. And now they're sort of rebelling. And now you're like, okay, well, at least we're on the right track because now they are at least feeling comfortable enough and safe enough to actually express themselves and now it's just a matter of proving that uh, through reinforcement history and developing a trusting relationship that you're not going to do anything that's going to hurt them. And I know that sounds like a woo-woo thing to say, but it's not. If you have a reinforcement history with a human that has, like, I don't know, take a a relationship with a friend. And this friend, every time you're around them, they tell you how horrible you are, how ugly you are, you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that, blah, blah, blah. They make you feel like trash every time you're around them, but you can't get away from them. And then eventually you, um, you know, move states and you develop a new friendship. And then, um, you know, you're expecting that same energy to come from that person. And then when it doesn't, you start doing it because you're like, well, now I have the control and I'm not ever letting anybody do that to me again. And then you accidentally start repeating the cycle because that's what you know. That's what you're comfortable with. And if they're not going to do it, you better. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, it's going to be you that's under the thumb again. And I, I realize this is an anthropomorphic example, but it is based in reinforcement history and attachment theory. Um, so continuing on our metaphor here, then... If, if you realize that person is staying true and they're being compassionate and understanding, they're being respectful of you, and when you blow up, they, they take off the pressure and they're like, okay, I get it. I hear you. I won't do it anymore. And we're just going to relax. We're going to chill. And I can offer you something else that we can do. Then eventually that aggression is going to just die out because there's no need for it. You've developed trust. You understand what the relationship is now. 
And also they make you feel good when you're around them. And that um, engaging the care and the seeking and the play systems just cancel out the fear and rage systems. So um, that might be another thing to look into. The animal emotions course that I just finished up. Um, it's with Carolina Westland. You can find it on my website under the equine education online courses tab. Yes, I burped. <laughs> um, and it's called animal emotions and she just wrapped up this module and I'm assuming there's going to be another one in the spring. So I hear you, dude. It is a rough situation to be in. And I don't know that my answer was one that you wanted, but you're definitely, um, you're normal for feeling a little bit afraid and like you don't want to work with this horse because now he's become that friend that nobody wants to be around. But I really think if you push through and you look at him through a compassionate lens, like this horse has been through it and now he is just protecting himself and he's afraid. But if I can prove to him and it might take a while, it might not be next week. It might be, you know, four months from now. But if I really put in the time and take it slow and prove to him that I'm never going to hurt him. I'm going to allow him choice. I'm going to allow, allow him the autonomy to tell me whether he would like to do this or not. Then you're going to have a horse that is with you for life and that trusts you for real, for real. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I know it's it's a rough place to be in and I feel for you, but I really, it sounds like you're, you're reading the situation and you're not just writing him off as an asshole and decided that this doesn't work. So mad props to you for looking for a solution outside the norm. And I wish you the best of luck. Let's get into the next question. All right. So question number two comes from patron Rachel. She writes, I am a Western trainer and mostly work in cult starting and problem horses. I followed you when you didn't do positive reinforcement. So you were kind of the reason that made me change my training techniques. So thank you for that. You are welcome. <laughs> anyway, so a little backstory. I started a mare for the rescue I work at at the end of the year. She was always a very sensitive being, and she seemed to hold a lot of anxiety in instead of spooking, if that makes sense. She got adopted earlier this year to a dressage home where they had her for about two months. The new owner lost her job and unfortunately had to give her back. She came back explosive. I have to train her in a traditional way because we have to adopt out, so I'm kind of between a rock and a hard place with her because she's borderline dangerous now. Anything I do, she spooks and runs away. She'll bolt off of any verbal cues when ridden. If you make any noise that isn't a, quote, normal riding noise, unquote, i.e. your reins bump the saddle and she'll bolt. She's just very reactive now. She's not confident in herself and the whites of her eyes show all the time. I don't know what they did or didn't do, but the point being she came back completely different. She's out as much as possible with a small five-horse herd and a round bale. She's outside dawn to dusk, has Timothy Hay 24-7, Hay um, night in her stall. Um, she, what? She Oh, she's, okay, I get it. Um, sorry, I got confused. I thought dawn to dusk meant all the time. Um, okay, so she's inside at night in her stall. She targets and halters with positive reinforcement, but all riding is traditional. I try to be gentle and listen to the horses. She's not mine, but she's a client's horse. So how do I go about approaching this situation? So um, I completely understand the situation of having to work with a horse that you have to, you know, end up adopting out or selling to somebody else. So you can't, um, you know, train everything strictly positive reinforcement, but... 
I do think you have some wiggle room. So it's great that you've got the targeting and haltering with positive reinforcement. Um, but I, I do think you have more options available to you that could really help, um, you know, strengthen her confidence in you. It's unfortunate, but it does happen. Um, we had a similar situation. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate when horses, you know, you think that they've got the, um, the perfect home and they end up coming back and then everything's wrong. <laughs> and, you know, it, it is a tricky, tricky place to be in. But the good news is there's a lot that you can do to help with the confidence. So a lot of things to consider are, um, you know, is she comfortable walking away from her herd or is she wanting to go back the whole time? Is she anxious about being in the cross ties? Is she anxious about, you know, getting tacked up? All of those things you can do with positive reinforcement and they really help create positive associations on a physiological basis, but also a psychological basis where they make positive associations with all of the things that you need them to do. So another thing is the verbal cues. You can train those cues at liberty on the ground with positive reinforcement and use them in the saddle as well. And, um, you know, you can sort of transfer them and then you can transfer them to where they become negative reinforcement cues, just like you would do um, sort of a counter conditioning situation with um, negative reinforcement to positive reinforcement. You know, we don't always recommend doing that. But um, for Zoe, I did it with like walk on and trot. I They're now positive reinforcement cues um, from working in the field with her at Liberty. And so what I would do is um, like I just went to Tractor Supply the other day and bought, I think, seven plastic T-posts. Um, they were all like $1.50 each. And so I bought them and I got... Um, a rope to go around the top of it so I can make a little makeshift um, reverse round pin. So um, that'll help with the young horses that I work with and teaching them uh, vocal cues and associating, uh, you know, like a trot or walk on or canter cue and do targeting that way. And that way I'm safe and I don't have to worry about anybody kicking out or anything like that. Um, when the time comes. So that's something you can do and train the vocal cues that way. And that way you, they're not coming from a place of like, uh Oh, you know, if I don't go ahead and, um, trot when this lady says trot, then I'm going to be dealing with a whip coming after me. And as for the rest of it, you know, like just the whole time, when you're riding that she's not comfortable. Something you could try if it's in a an area where you could do it is you could try working on things like that in her field with her herd where she's comfortable and she doesn't have to be on high alert because some horses, you know, when they're by their sel or by themselves, it's really stressful. You know, some horses don't care whatsoever at all and they're totally fine on their own. But at baseline they are herd animals and they do feel more comfortable being with other horses because there are other people that can look out for them, so to speak, and they can feed off of the herd's energy. So if you can find a safe way to do it, and like I said, you know, I have a little bit of a, a temporary reverse round pin setup. You could even use 
that to fence off an area in your field where you could get on her, but you wouldn't have to worry about anybody else coming near. But you could still be out with the other horses so that she wouldn't, um, you know, feel threatened or uncomfortable. Because I think uh, I bought, I forgot how much footage of rope. I think it's 100 feet, but it is, um, like, so I can make a really big <laughs> round pin. Um, so, or if I did a straight line, it could be even longer. So it could be a hundred foot of straight line to fence off a section of a field. So, you know, assuming nobody would like to go through it, then I think you'd be pretty set. And that way you could just sort of eliminate one element of it. Because if she is having some separation anxiety, you'll have to deal with that first. Um, I recently did Fair Horsemanship's website um, course. She has a, a course on separation anxiety. It's a um, 58 minute video, I believe. And I went through it and took notes and she really walks you through every single phase of it. And I found that video extremely helpful. So if you are dealing with a horse that has separation anxiety, I highly recommend checking out that. You can just look up her on Instagram or Facebook and go to her website and you'll find it under the courses. I think it's about $20 just to, you know, have access to all that information all in one place. I would, I would have paid for it if I hadn't already, um, you know, taken it. It was, it was really, really helpful. So, um, you know, just anything you can do to reduce her anxiety and create positive, confident associations. And I know that there's a pressure to adopt out and, you know, get her rehomed as soon as possible. But I really think slowing down is the quickest way to go faster. If you skip a bunch of steps and you rush them, you really risk creating a horse that has a lot of confidence issues. Um, and, you know, this could be a similar situation to the horse in the previous message, Charlotte's Max. You know, she you said she seemed to hold a lot of anxiety in instead of spooking. But then when she left and she came back, now she's actually spooking. It could be that she is, um, you know, kind of coming out of her shell and feeling a little bit more okay and expressing how she's feeling instead of awaiting some level of punishment for it. Um, it's a possibility. I don't know that that's happening, but it could be. So anything you can do to make her feel confident and comfortable. Again, the Language Signs and Calming Signals book is a phenomenal resource to use because... Um, I think when you don't understand um, head turning or displacement or appeasement behaviors, then you you keep pushing past the point where you're waiting for the horse to explode. But if you can notice all of those things that happened, you know, 15 minutes ago, then you have a really uh, good sense of what's going to come if you don't take it back a step now and ensure her confidence and then proceed. Because I think what happens a lot of times is we kind of blow past those things and they're like, oh, she's just looking at something or she just had an itch on her leg and you keep going. And then all of a sudden you get the, you know, hypervigilance or the ear pinning or what have you. And then you get a bolt or a kick. So if you can back it up to that point where you're recognizing those things and addressing them in the moment, taking a step back ensuring the confidence and then proceeding, then you'll go way faster. And then you'll have a horse that has no holes in the training. So I think that there's a lot you can do with positive reinforcement and still make it, um, make her a horse that will be able to be rehomed to somebody who's not. 
But, um, you know, it does sound like you're working with some fear and potentially some trauma. So, unfortunately, that is the way of most rescues. I, I feel like they, they come from situations that are less than ideal. So you do have to do a little bit of extra work. And it's great that you're using positive reinforcement for it. I really don't think there's a better way to train, especially with a, a horse that comes from a history of distrust and a, a sad life. So I think that's about what I've got on that one. Um, And, well, actually, you talk about, like, any noise that isn't a normal riding noise. You can do a systematic desensitization procedure that's not flooding. Um, A lot of people say desensitizing work, and what they mean is scaring the shit out of the horse until it stops responding or goes into learned helplessness. And then they're like, see, he doesn't care anymore. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what just happened. (laughs) Um, Science disagrees with you. Um, so like, I, I just saw a video on Facebook of these people that are anticipating new years and all of their neighbors always do a lot of fireworks. So they trained the, these horses to, um, step on or, you know, bite, uh, balloons. (laughs) And so it would pop and the horses would get reinforced for doing it. So they, um, enjoyed hearing the loud sounds. They created a positive association with the loud sounds. When it popped, were they jumping? Yes. But they they were actively seeking it out, doing it on their own at Liberty, and um, instantly like, yay, okay, I did it. Where's my snack? Um, so I feel like it's kind of like humans. You know, if you pop a balloon, you're still going to jump. But it's not that, um, you know, you're terrified and you're having to make a decision between wanting to pop the balloon and I don't know what reinforcement you get from that other than just hearing a loud sound. But um you know, the horses were not terrified of it. So I think it is a step in the right direction. And that's something that you could use too with this horse is um, any sounds you think she's going to hear, um, make them, but in a, a very small fragment of it. So like for one of the horses that I used to work with, um, he was girthy. And so I would, you know, be in the tack room, jingle the girth, walk out, and give him a snack. And then I would be a little bit closer and then jingle the girth, click, give him a snack. And I would work all the way up to being able to stand next to him and have the girth jingle and then click and give him a treat. So I'm not saying like flip flop your reins over her neck and withers and make him smack and whatnot, but, um, you can do small, small little pieces of those sounds that she'll hear and then work up to the louder sounds. Um, you could also try, working with some like, um, rope reins, the clip on barrel reins, um, you know, to eliminate some of that sound if you have to work on other things in the meantime. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot that you can do to, um, sort of, uh, mitigate those responses that you're seeing, but I would really address the sound issue in a systematic and slow way. Like just whatever sound that you can think of that is frightening her, write it down and then see how little a component of that sound you can get to. Um, Just like break it all the way down and then work it back up to that really loud, powerful stimulus and see how you can systematically help her get more and more comfortable and desensitized to it. So... That is how I would approach it. And now we will rock on to question number three from patron Jen. 
Jen writes, hi, Jill, my name is Jen, and feel free to include my name. I also use she, her pronouns. Thank you guys very much. I cannot tell you enough how helpful it is when people say whether or not they want me to use their name and what pronouns they use, because I want to make sure that I am not calling anybody um, by the wrong pronoun and would like to um, also know if you want me to use your name or not. So anyway, I've been wor- or having a problem with Mimi lately. She's a 22-year-old Welsh pony. She used to be a show pony when she was younger, and though she's healthy and retired now, she still has some lingering anxiety, likely from her high-stress showing days. Ditto. Um, anyway, the problem she has ha- um, been having is with pawing when asked to stand still. I typically let her be at liberty so she can move around and eat to ease her anxiety, but sometimes she needs to stand, like for the vet, farrier, etc. I also think it's just an important horse or skill for a horse to have to stand for at least a few minutes without pawing. Other people may work with her in the future and expect her to stand still, and I don't want her to be punished for pawing then. And I I don't think this is a pain-related behavior. She has a clean bill of health that has been checked, and her environment is as stress-free as possible. She has turnout, access to food, isn't traditionally ridden, has buddies, etc. I've tried reinforcing standing still and not pawing, but she seems to take that as a start pawing and then stop to get a reward, which isn't super helpful. I've also considered mat training as an option, and plan to try it out, but I'm worried she'll continue to paw just on the mat. I wish there was a way to get to the root of her anxiety, but since she's still healthy and her environment seems pretty suitable, I'm not sure how. Do you have any tips on dealing with this? Thanks. Yes, I do, believe it or not. Um, So I'm working with a client horse now, and she has a habit of pawing. And I have noticed in our training sessions and in the situations that I have seen her paw, it's a frustration-related behavior. And um, I, I just don't know that I've seen it happen in any other circumstance. Sometimes horses will paw to, um, you know, get to a better piece of grass or dig, um, to get some sort of food, but, um, it's, it's usually related to frustration. So if you're asking her to stand still and she doesn't understand the concept of duration, then that's likely why you're getting pawing. So... With my client horse, for instance, she paws when, um, you know, we're doing something that is quote unquote boring, like standing over the fence and targeting. She's got that down super well now, but she, um, you know, if I keep doing it for too long, then she's like, she'll she'll start pawing. She's like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I have to change it up a little bit, at least in the beginning. I am planning to work toward, um, you know, having her be comfortable, but also I I really don't want to have to, um, discourage her and just be like, okay, well, you're just going to have to deal with it. This is what you're doing. So if there's another thing that I can ask her to do in the same situation where she has to stand still, like targeting different objects, um, or targeting different body parts, you know, that could potentially solve it. But I do agree that a horse does need to know how to stand still for bed exams and things like that. And, you know, if they were to end up in another person's hands, what have you, mat training is a great way to do this. So how I would go about mat training with a horse like this, um, first of all, it's great because it's not any other cue that already has the pawing associated with it. So like you said, um, she's pawing and then stopping to get a reward. That's what we call uh, an unclean loop. So what you would want to do in that situation is back your criteria way down. So 
you know, you start a session with her and you give your cue for standing still. That is a huge part of this, by the way. I think a lot of people really miss the mark with training horses to stand still, um, at least in the beginning, because there is no cue. And the horse is like, well, am I supposed to just be behaving? I don't know. I'm frustrated. I don't get it. And so I think it could be really helpful to associate it with a cue, like stand or stay or something like that. And that way she'll know, okay, this is what I'm expected to do. And back it way down and just click her for standing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And just keep clicking for standing. I think this is what happens with people that train manners as well. They wait till the horse comes back into their space and then moves out to click and treat. Well, now the horse has learned the entire behavior of manners is into your space, out of your space. That's the whole thing. And then they come back in and they go back out. If you don't click the horse for already being out of your space, then they, you know, they have to guess and make it more obvious for you. So with the pawing situation, you go out, you give your cue, whatever it is, stay, and you click and treat and click and treat and click and treat and click and treat and click and treat. Every time giving the cue, clicking and treating. I would not work on increasing any time or duration in the first session. And then when you come back the next day, Say stay, click treat, stay, click treat, and then go work on something else for a little bit, like targeting, following a target, and then have stay, click treat, and then wait just a beat longer, stay, click treat, and then continue it like that and keep slowly building up, but still allowing the horse sort of a moving outlet because it is a big ask, especially with clicker training to ask a horse to stand still. Um, you know, if they're not really clear on the concept because they're like, well, how am I supposed to earn rewards? Cause duration is a difficult thing to train in the beginning. So I would have her stay, click, treat, stay, click, treat, stay, click, treat, and, um, then start increasing your time gradually. And then the next day, you know, stay, click, treat, stay, click, treat, stay, good, click, treat. And that's where you would start introducing the keep going signal. If you haven't already used it anywhere else, um, you might introduce it with something else like following a target. I use keep going signals a lot and they really, really help. So, you know, you say stay, good, good, click treat. And then they, they know that they're doing the behavior right, but to keep going, keep doing it. So you're giving them some indication that they're doing the behavior right, but they just need to do it for a little bit longer. And I think that's what really bridges the gap between just doing a behavior and duration in a behavior. So anyway, that is how I would go about it. There are some other options with mat training or a stationary target. Um, and the mat training I think would be your best bet because it requires the horse to stand with both feet on the mat at all times. Pawing is not a part of the criteria. So you have the horse walk up to the mat and they put, you know, a foot on the corner, you click for it and then gradually work your way up to where they um, have both feet, you know, in the center of the mat. But if you at any point during the training notice that she started pawing, you've moved your criteria too fast. She's not getting it. You need to go back down a step, lower your criteria, lower your expectations, and then keep working back up. And really introducing a keep going signal, things like that. Um, 
and just taking the pawing as a sign of frustration or the criteria went up too fast and she's not getting it. So how can you rephrase the question and make it even clearer to her? Okay, next question comes from patron Vicky. Number four reads, Hi, Jill. I hope you're well. I have just been to look at a beautiful warm blood mare who's 10 years old with great breeding, but still quite green. I've been listening to your podcast for a few weeks now and plan on training any horse I get positively. Um, I'm assuming that means with positive reinforcement. Um, I've been doing a UK-based positive training course learning step-by-step how-to, but wondered what your thoughts are on helping a horse positively build its top line and pulling itself in from its back end without using negative training aids, um, or maybe bump straps aren't negative. They feel negative to me as it's still a pressure thing. Would love to hear your thoughts and happy for you to use this question. Say my name on the podcast. Many thanks. You're welcome, Vicki. Um, so yeah. Um, as I said in the, uh, beginner's guide to positive reinforcement horse training, um, little series that I just did, It's not, pressure is not inherently a bad thing. So if I'm putting my hands on my knees right now, it's, it's pressure. I'm touching my knees, but it's not something that I am seeking to avoid. So the pressure that happens in negative reinforcement is, um, aversive pressure. And I think that is what the caveat needs to be. So if I push my pointer finger into my horse's shoulder, you know, she's going to be like, okay, ow, and move away. That is your, um, the goal is that the horse is going to seek to remove or avoid or gain relief from the, whatever stimulus you've applied. So, you know, if somebody walks up to you and you don't know them and they put their hand on your shoulder, you're probably going to move away until they take your their hand off the shoulder or to create a little bit of distance because you're uncomfortable. So it's the same sort of uh, situation. I don't necessarily see the like equiband system or I have something, I forgot what it's called, but it, it goes on a surcingle um, and it's, it's a butt strap. Those I think are more proprioceptive than negative reinforcement. Um, things like the Pessoa system are not technically negative reinforcement either. Well, I mean, they are because the horse, um, if the horse sticks their head up or their nose out, they get pulled on until they find the right spot and then they have to hold themselves there, which is absolutely appalling that people think that works because then the horse is even more tense trying to hold this position instead of moving freely through their bodies and also, it tucks their nose in, which is not correct either. Their noses should be pushing out, but whatever. Um, so I would say using a Pessoa system is definitely a no from me. Don't use a Pessoa system. Um, a bum strap that just connects to the saddle or the surcingle is not um, not negatively reinforcing to me. I mean, I guess technically it could be because if it's a if it's really tight and applying pressure that they have to like scoot to keep it from uh from applying pressure then I, yes but the way that I used it on Zoe was just um it was on sort of loose because I used it as more of a proprioceptive thing to make her more aware of her hind end and as a result use it better um you know they have um Adele talks about this she has some posts on using it I forgot what it's called oh my god people will use like um 
a system that sort of does a figure eight over the horse. It um, goes back behind their legs like a bum strap, and then it crosses over their back and then goes under their neck. So it's a big eight. And um, it's more for proprioception purposes, being aware of the body and helping uh, with neural connections I sound like I'm just making up things. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's my very basic understanding of it. But that doesn't work to make the horse go into any position. It just helps increase awareness of those body parts. Um, but as far as building a top line and using their hind end without using, you know, any systems or anything... And you can do it in negative reinforcement without using training systems. That's largely what, like, Art2Ride does and things like that. Um, and using, like, the Pessoa system or whatever is not going to build you a top line because, like, there are tons of articles out there on how tense it makes the horse, and it's really counterintuitive. So don't use those, dear God. Um, but there are lots of things that you can do with positive reinforcement. For Zoe, the biggest thing was turning her out in a field that has a hill on it, and the water is at the top of the field and her hay is much lower. So she has to walk uphill and downhill and uphill and downhill to and fro. And it's really built up her top line. And so you can do that. You can arrange feeding to where they, um, you know, have to move around up and down hills and things like that. But if you don't have terrain, something that you can do is teaching target training and teaching the horse to follow a target and then you just put the target very close to the ground. So you do a lot of walking with the target on the ground, the horse's nose on the ground. And when you click and reinforce, you feed on the ground so that the horse is constantly thinking long and low. Um, Adele from the Willing Equine has a video on doing long and low with um, horses using positive reinforcement on her YouTube channel. So you can look that up. And it's, it's essentially what I've done with Zoe and a client horse I'm working with right now. So I would say to do that and good on you for wanting to do it. <laughs> so anyway, um, number five comes from patron Peyton. Hello, Peyton. <laughs> so Peyton writes, um, IDK, if you have seen the vids I sent in discord over the past few weeks, but Falcon has picked up a funny habit of rearing and striking when he's excited and runs up to me. It only happens when he's been stimulated. Um, uh, burp. <laughs> it was a weak one. For example, we go uh, to the further corner of the paddock and somewhat further from his neighbors, but he can still see them. We'll pick up the trot and he'll sprint up to them uh, as seen in the video. I I haven't seen the video. I'm sorry. <laughs> I haven't been on Discord lately. I've been so busy. Um, but And then as seen in the video, sprint back when I call him. I don't mind it, to be honest. He's smart enough to never actually get his feet close to me. Um, no one else is going to do the positive reinforcement stuff with him. So presumably he won't get stimulated around others. And honestly, I think he's just having fun. And part of me turns a blind eye because I remember when he was just dead in the eyes or stressed out. And I love that he enjoys the clicker work and enjoys his time with me. I mean, every time I go out to his paddock with my stuff, he walks or trots up to me even before I call him. Like, that's the coolest thing for me. Um, so my actual question, is he truly having fun or could he be frustrated with the environment and training going on? I've seen a few, I've sent a few videos on Discord, but please, please, please don't watch them if this would technically fall under video analysis and require higher tier. Thank you, Peyton, for being so considerate. Um, honestly, I, it wasn't intentional not to see the video. I just, I haven't looked at it, but I'll look at it after this. Um, cause it's on Discord. 
Um, but yes, technically it is under the higher tier. So if you would like to have me do some video analysis, you can join that one, but that's okay. I'm holding you to this one. I genuinely don't want you sacrificing your professional boundaries for my sake. I appreciate that so much. You're so sweet. I love Peyton. Genuinely guys, like the, I think the best part about doing, um, the discord server and the live zoom meetings is having so many of you guys on it. Because I, I know Peyton now, I feel like, <laughs> and I just, I enjoy it. I feel like I know so much about everybody and it's, it's great. So anyway, um, I only mentioned the vids because they're already sent and may provide some context. I wish I had seen it, but I feel like I can picture it in my noggin anyway. Uh, but last thing, no rush on the answer. Um, it's nothing pressing and no one's in danger. LOL knocking on wood right now. I don't want to get bonked in the head by front hoof tomorrow. <laughs> um, thank you. So, um, yeah, I would say because Zoe actually does this too. Um, she doesn't really like bounce and strike. Um, but she, there's a video on my YouTube. I forgot what it's called, but of her, um, like all the other horses started running and she kind of got caught up with them and I whistled at her and she came running back to me and got very close to me. Um, and I actually asked about it in some clicker group once upon a time and everybody pretty much was like, just make sure you click before she gets to you um, so that she'll stop and then you finish the rest of the way and walk up to her and reinforce for that. So um, she knows to stop. And you can also, if you have a woe cue, you could say woe and, um, you know, tell him to stop because you don't want him to run over to you, but that you love his enthusiasm and he's getting rewarded for it. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much what I would do. Um, cause I mean, horses, when they run and play, that is what they do. It doesn't seem like a frustration thing to me. Um, you know, maybe being far away from his neighbors is a little bit, um, anxiety inducing. It's possible, but that would really be up to you. And I know, I know Peyton is a diligent learner. So, um, I'm pretty sure, I feel like you've read uh, Dreisma's book. I don't know why that's so relevant in this episode, but um, if when you're walking away, you notice he's doing a lot of displacement, appeasement, um, or calming signal behaviors, um, you know, maybe it is a little bit uncomfortable for him to be farther away, and then you can just work on the um, distance increasing, systematic desensitization, and um, of the separation anxiety, if that is what you think it is. But um, other than that, I would just work on making sure that it's safe and that when he's, you know, running back to you, you're not going to get hurt because that would be very bad and not good. And I want you to continue existing without a hoof print on your face. So, um, yeah, I would just say make sure that you get the, um, the communication a little tighter that when he does come back, it's a good thing. But he needs to not run all the way up to you because you're not a horse and bumper cars horse to human doesn't work as well as horse to horse. So I think that's about my answer on that one. So question number six is a little bit shorter. Um, patron Grace asks, how do you go about rewarding uh, mouthy or otherwise nosy horses during training sessions and keeping them out of your pockets when you're just hanging out with them? All of my horses know head away, but I don't want to reward every time they're leaving me alone and not trying to eat my jacket. So I got you a little bit. Um, so when you're just hanging out with them, usually that behavior just extinguishes. So I'm not entirely sure what's happening. Um, it could be that if you have goodies in your pockets and, you know, you cue head away, but you're not reinforcing, then that could be 
um, a driving force or if you don't have a really clear contextual cue for when it is a training session. So uh, let me let me phrase this. Um, for me, when I am just going out to hang out with my horses, I don't wear my treat pouch or anything like that. I just go out and mess with them. And they don't expect anything from me. They don't expect to get cued or anything like that. And if they do, they know it's going to be scratches. Um, Zoe loves that. <laughs> but if, uh, you know, you go out there with your treat pouch on all the time and you're like, I don't want to work with you. Or if you don't have um, something that's clear, like if you typically keep your treats in your pocket, they have no way of discerning whether or not there's going to be a training session. So... I would work on making sure that there is a contextual cue, like a treat pouch, and that they know when you just have a jacket on, it's not going to happen. Otherwise, it's kind of like the slot machine thing. So they don't know, um, you know, sometimes you have treats in your pocket and sometimes you don't. So they better just keep trying every single time. But, um, you know, I understand not wanting to reward every time they're leaving you alone and not trying to eat your jacket. I would just, um, you know, you could do it and um, reinforce with scratches instead of food. Um, trying to think what else. So how do you keep, how do you go about rewarding Maldi or otherwise nosing horses? Well, you are talking about during training sessions um, and keeping them out of your pockets when you're just hanging out with them. So during training sessions, um, you know, I, you have to reward every time pretty much. Um, you know, if you do targeting, and you hold out the target, the horse touches it, you click treat, and you cue head away as you're grabbing your food so that they stay out of your pocket, and then you feed them. Like, that is, that's what I do every single time. Nearly every time I ask for another behavior and I click, I follow it with the uh, head away, um, or head in the center of the body, just manners. So I cue it every time. I don't click for it anymore. When I first start, it's the only thing I do. You know, I, I do it one thing at a time. But after that, I pretty much just cue it right before I give them the food. It's almost a a part of me reaching for the food out of my pocket. So if I hold out the target, they touch it, click treat. I reach to get the food. And if they come into my space, I'll just tip my shoulders away a little bit and they move out and then I feed them. So it's not really a... Um, it's kind. Of, I guess it's a behavior chain, kind of, but I've already clicked, so I just I don't click it every single time because they they know, um, yeah. And then when you're not hanging out with them, I would just work on having a context cue that helps them understand that you're not doing a training session and you don't have food. And most of them, once they realize you don't have anything, they'll just be like, "Oh, she doesn't have snacks. All right, then <laughs> that's it." So, um, you know, if you feel like I didn't answer this question, go ahead and shoot me another message and um, provide some more information. But I feel like that's really all I can say on it. Um, okay, number seven comes from patron Bonnie. She says, hey, Jilly, please don't ever call me that ever again. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you, Bonnie, but no, never again. I had an art teacher that used to call me Jilly Bean and I wanted to punch her straight in the teeth every single time she said that. Um, <laughs> sorry, violent. Um, bit of a backstory. I've had my OTTB big red for three years. I rode him on the track and decided to take him home when he finished his racing career as I loved him so much. Uh, I had him in a paddock for four months before starting to do cow work and show jumping with him. Now I've started clicker training with all of my horses 
they've picked it up, um, or they've all picked it up well, except for Red. Damn it, Red. Um, we started with manners. He used to mug me and nuzzle at the treat pouch. However, when he moved his head away to the center of his chest, I'd click and reward. He did really well in restricted contact. Protected contact. Who says restricted? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but now we've moved uh, it into the arena. He bends his head all the way away from me. And then if he doesn't get clicked, he'll look at me like... I wasn't near you, where is my treat? <laughs> and continues to try and search the pocket for treat. Usually when he tries to search, I'll just turn away from him, and then he'll come up beside me and stand quite quiet with his head in the center. So I'll click and reward for that. So I'm going to go ahead and stop this one and answer this first half, and then I'll continue reading the message. So what happens with this is, essentially it's just you're waiting too long to click. So... When you cue for um, the head in the center of the body, manners, and the horse starts swinging their head away, click for the first tip away. Like when they start tipping their head like they're going to turn it away, click. Be ready for it. And then feed them fairly quickly, but feed them in the center of their body where you want them to be. The client horse that I'm working with is the cutest thing in the entire world. And I guess everybody else that I've trained, I just haven't been so deliberate with. And with her, when I started the um, the target training, it oh my God, it just, it absolutely blew my mind how smart this horse was. And I guess just the way that I trained it, it was brilliant. So I would hold out the target and we were over protected contact. Like I was in a little arena and she was outside the fence. I would hold up the target. She would reach out and touch it. I would click and then I would feed her with her head in the center of her body near the fence. And I did that so many times, no matter where I put the target, I fed her in the same spot every single time that when she heard the click, she went to that spot. And I just thought that was absolutely crazy because we hadn't worked on manners or anything like that. It was the first session and she started doing that. She she knew. And that is the power of being consistent with um, your feeding location. And so she was never in my pockets when she heard the treat from the get-go because she knew where she was going to be reinforced. So um, that is a huge piece of the the puzzle working with getting horses to not mug you. So... When he starts tipping his head away, click him before he gets all the way away. And that's that's really how you correct the um, tipping the head too far away. You can also, when you feed them, go ahead and click again. They're already in the right spot. Just click and feed and click and feed and click and feed. And then gradually work on it and then walk away to reset. You know, target them around the arena, come to a stop, and then cue them for it and click before they can get too far. And then you can do that. And when you click for the targeting, click him when he's where you want him to be or right before he is. Because chances are, you know, when they're swinging their head away and you click, it's going to take them a second to register and stop. So I, I usually try and click like a millisecond before they get to where I want them. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that is the best way to fix that. And you like if the horse is coming back into your space after you've done it, you've put them into sort of an extinction cycle. So the best thing to do when that happens, uh, to clarify when the horse moves their head too far away and you don't click because you're like, that's not where I want you to be. Um, and then they come all the way back and then they start mugging you because 
what they know works isn't working anymore. You've put them into an extinction cycle. So I would just cue them for something else or walk around and reset and then ask again. But something else you can do is when the horse goes too far, they turn their head all the way away from you. In order to come back to mug you, they have to pass through the right spot. Just because they're coming back towards you doesn't mean it's wrong. They're still in the right spot. So I click for that too. If I miss it when they go too far, I'll just wait till they start coming back and then click for being there. And then I'll feed them there. And then I'll click again for being there. And then I'll walk a few steps, have them follow me, and I'll cue it again. And then feed them where they're supposed to be. And that usually cleans up the loop a little bit. Okay, continuing reading the email. Then I'll try and change my position again and stand in front of him, but he still thinks he has to get his head right out of my space, so he'll continue to turn his head either left and right and then spring back to the middle again to look for a treat, even though I hadn't clicked. Um, well, click him for springing back to the middle. That's that's what I would say, because um, he he has to pass through the right spot. So just because he's not deliberately going to that spot doesn't mean that spot is still wrong. You have to work up to the criteria of him going deliberately to the spot. Think about the way that you train it in the first place. You train him to turn his head away, but you start by clicking for a subtle movement away. So you have to lower your criteria to just being in the in the spot to begin with. And then you can work up to that's where he goes when you cue him for manners. Um, okay, continuing reading. I'm not sure if I should click him when he springs back to the middle. There you go. Um, because I know he's springing back to find treats on me. Should I reinforce that thought he has if I'm trying to get him to realize his head in the middle is fine? Yeah. So I think it's just a matter of increasing your rate of reinforcement and lowering your criteria because you're expecting him to stay there and wait and not reach out. But if you click him before he reaches out to touch you, then he's he's done the right thing. So... um yeah, also having your where your treat bag is can be really helpful because if you have your treats in the center of your body when you're standing directly in front of him, you're asking for him to reach. And, um, you know, I would only do that with a horse that's very clicker savvy and knows to keep their hand out of the cookie jar. So anyway, continuing the email. If I continue to not click, he'll just get frustrated and start searching. Yeah, that's extinction. My question is, what is the best way to counteract this? Should I just go back to close contact you're coming up with all sorts of names for that. I've never heard anybody call it anything other than protected contact, but they both make sense. And start teaching manners again. I really want to get the manners down pat first, obviously. Good call. If I try to teach him anything else with uh, with clicker, he doesn't, and if he doesn't understand, he'll just fall back to turning his head back and forth, searching me for treats. Then if I don't give treats, he'll walk away looking for grass, which I understand. I think I'm doing it correctly as my other horses picked up the manners straight away and now they're starting to learn touch. But I thought I'd reach out and get advice from the All Holy One. Obviously, you, you goose. <laughs> Stop. I don't like that at all. Calling me so many weird names, Bonnie. Come on. Um, I'm just kidding. It's not weird. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> Sorry, you're not getting away with that one. Before I went back to the basics with Red. Okay, that wasn't a quick question. No, it wasn't. But it's a good question because I think a lot of people struggle with this. But hopefully I answered it. Um it's essentially you're just you're frustrating him and uh you know it's not your fault you're you're new to this and a lot of other horses get it way easier and don't need you to be as picky but horses like him tend to be the ones that are the best clicker trainers they teach you to be spot on and so yeah i would just say lower your criteria click him for being in the right spot i would go back to protected contact to really refine this so you don't have to worry about him coming into your space at all 
Um, because when you send horses into accidental frustration extinction cycles, they, it can get dangerous. So to prevent that, I would go back to protected contact, pick a side that you want to work in, stand beside him, say on his left side with his head on your right. And then if he's just standing there looking straight ahead, click him for it. It doesn't matter if his attention's on you, if it's deliberate, if it's an accident, if, you know, a dog is running in the distance and he's looking at at it. If his head is in the center of the body, click it. If his head is on a pendulum swinging back and forth and he passes through the right spot, click him for it and treat him there. And then keep clicking and treating when he's in the right spot. And then, you know, you can target or walk. I mean, he doesn't know targeting yet, but you can walk along a fence line and he'll probably follow you. You can click him for that. And then um, that would be your opportunity to cue the manners. And then when he gets in the right spot, reach out and feed him. And then you can start working on manners even more. So now we are on to question number eight. Dun, dun, dun. This question comes from patron Gianna. Um, would you ever consider holding your own lessons once you got your own place and set barn? If so, where would you like to settle? So this is actually a question that I would love to answer directly. Um, I would love to give my own lessons and, um, do plan on doing that in the near future. I do have um, some clients right now that I'm working with and I am actually training. <laughs> so I am really enjoying it and it's it's been a blast. So I would love to continue doing it. And as far as where I'd like to settle, probably Texas, but there is an opportunity that is coming, but I don't want to say anything about it yet because I don't want to jinx it. And I also kind of want it to be more like a fun surprise announcement. So, you know, just know something's coming. Uh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it yet. Um, but anyway, Gianna also asks another question that I have to scroll down for now because my garage band is being super glitchy. My computer updated and this update sucks. It's so glitchy. Um, anyway. Uh, so she asked, I am listening to your podcast episode talking about ulcers and you've given me some advice about it before. And I haven't had like a specific talk to my trainer slash his owner about it. And, but I know that she had mentioned that he did or may have had ulcers when we got him. I'm not sure if his behavior biting when the halter is off, putting a bridle on or when he's in his stall girthing, touching the back of his stomach a little before his back hind legs. He does also kick and bite with the saddle. He's gotten a lot better, but it's definitely not perfect. I can't tell if it's a behavior left over from the previous owner who didn't feed him and feeling like he needs to protect himself or something like that, or he's still hurting. I really want to get to the bottom of it, and I think we may eventually talk about buying him, so I would feel more comfortable talking to our vet uh, than as I only have lease now, but I think I could talk to my trainer into checking. If she is sure that he doesn't have ulcers anymore, then I could talk about changing his bucket feed. His uh, hay is alfalfa, orchard alfalfa. Um, I'm pretty sure that's a typo. Um, and his bucket is mainly total equine. Those are both pretty high in sugar, and I could probably switch him to Timothy pellets, but I don't know if that would help. And I don't know if I should, could change his hay. Sorry for the long message, but I would love your help. Um, also, you're welcome to mention my name. Uh, also forgot to mention, he is very food aggressive again. He's gotten better knowing he will get fed, but still gets nippy. I would definitely say this horse probably has ulcers. If he is still biting and kicking during all of those things that you listed, that is a really strong indication that he does. Um, there's also a video 
online. I would recommend having your trainer watch it and do it, um, you know, just to be safe. But it um, it's, comes from DiPaolo Equine Concepts about uh, how to palpate a horse for ulcers. You can find it on YouTube. Very easy, easy search. But that video will show you how to palpate for ulcers. But I would really recommend getting him scoped, as I mentioned earlier. Aggression is uh, something that almost always lends itself to ulcers. Not necessarily that the aggression is a direct result of the ulcers, but when a horse is being aggressive, they're normally so anxious um, that they're being aggressive, and that's what's causing the aggression. So it's usually a really strong indication that that horse has ulcers. So, um, you know, I don't think he's necessarily being bad. Obviously, it sounds like he's got some issues um, from his past of not being fed. And horses that have um, a starvation history, it is really difficult to get their bodies back on track. So definitely push for getting him scoped and doing whatever you can to uh, get that to happen. And, um, you know, you can read some articles about ulcers, DePaolo equine concepts. Um, In that video, they have linked their health library. And if you go to their website, under Health Library, they have Digestive Health, and then they have two articles that are extremely helpful about ulcers, and you can read those and get everything checked out and, yeah, get him treated. I think that would really go a long way in helping, but you will see a rebound effect if the diet is high in sugar. I'm not familiar with Total Equine. It also depends on what type of Total Equine. Um so, cause I mean, most brands have a bunch of different types of feed. They have different lines. Um, but if you say they're high in sugar, that's pretty much a no go. So, um, you know, in order to figure out the non-structural carbohydrate percent, the NSC of your feed, you would add up the percentage of sugars and starches on the label. And that will give you the NSC number. Anything over 20 is considered a, um, Oh God, what is it called? It slipped my brain, but that's that's a no no, pretty much. So I would I feed like my horses are insulin resistant. Uh, so I like to feed lower than you know like twelve percent of the NSC total starch and sugars. So I would really recommend changing that around and getting him on something that's lower. Otherwise, treating the ulcers pretty much isn't going to do you any good. Um, You can also listen to the episode on the Feed Room Chemist about gastric ulcers. That is a very helpful episode. Um, It might actually be the one on omeprazole. There's there's a few episodes about ulcers. It's a hot topic. (laughs) But they also, on Blue Bonnet Feeds, they have a um, blog post about it that you can read about as well. So, yeah, I would say that's probably... That question, I, I just, I really think that the best way to go is to get him scoped and checked. It definitely sounds to me like he does have them. Um, so yeah. Question number nine. Patron Karima says, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Uh, I, I, ha- I feel like it has to be. I don't know how else I could pronounce it. Karima. She, uh, I was wondering if there is a way for a person to be competitive, but also do it with positive reinforcement training, specifically in eventing and barrels. I'm only 16 and don't lease or own, so it's hard to try new things like positive reinforcement with a horse since they're not mine. So, yeah. Um, me and Kane Meyer actually did a series 
on positive reinforcement writing. So you can go back and listen to that. But essentially the answer is yes, but it takes a long time to get there. And you um, might find that, you know, horses are individuals and all of them are not going to enjoy everything. So, you know, you might have to reroute or plan if you really want to dive into positive reinforcement, but I don't see any reason why you couldn't. The only thing is in eventing, um, eventing almost seems easier to me to train than barrels. And it might just be because I'm personally biased and I have, I was an eventer for quite some time, but you don't like if you get the horse into a canter, especially at low levels, you're pretty much set. The problem with barrels is it's a speed event and it's like largely timed. So, but it is shorter than, um, you know, like running cross country and eventing. So, you know, I don't know. It, it depends on how you want to look at it. But uh, in barrel racing, there is often a lot of starfish kicking and whipping, especially after recent Twitter drama. Oh, my God. Um, so, but I do think that there is a way to train barrel racing that is kind. Um, and you can teach a horse to hit that top speed, but I think it would, it would definitely be difficult. And you would also have to find a horse that would be willing to do it. So, um, you know, personally for me, I think the reason positive reinforcement works so well with me is that, um, you know, as much as I miss competition and I really did love it. I, I don't miss kind of, I don't know, I guess seeing my horse as a vehicle to competition. And now I think if I were to get a horse going where they were comfortable going to competitions and things, um, you know, it would be more about working with the horse and not so much about winning and things like that and just making sure that the horse is comfortable and confident. And I know that there are people out there that compete that do have those same considerations, but they still do use a level of control that um, might be more um, forceful, I guess. But anyway, yeah, I think it's absolutely possible. I think, um, you know, it would take a while to get there. It's definitely, um, you know, I guess more difficult than doing it the negative reinforcement way because the traditional way you can just kind of push through, like, honestly, you could take a green horse and go out and run barrels day one. Um, but is it going to be done? Well, probably not. But with positive reinforcement, you know, usually you give the horse a choice. So it takes some more time. But I think that at the end of the day, whether you work with negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement, you can have a horse that is comfortable and happy and enjoys their job. And you can mix to some degree, but you have to be diligent about it. But really my answer to finish up that question is yes, but it depends. <laughs> and I would say that since you don't own or um, lease your own horse, I would just really take your time and, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing and riding and do some research and learn more about it so that when you do have the opportunity to have your own horse, you'll be raring to go and you'll have all the information that you could ever need um, to get started. So with that, guys, that wraps up these episodes or these questions. I can't believe that this has only been an hour and a half. I really cracked through those questions and I might actually make it to my boss's house to get the truck before... Um, <laughs> 
it's absolutely freezing outside. It's supposed to be very cold tonight. Um, and she was like, I'm going to go to bed at nine and it's currently eight 40. So, you know, might make it there before she goes to bed, but I think that is going to do it, uh, for this week's episode. And I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Be sure to join the Patreon fam. If you would like to ask your questions and have them answered on the podcast or in the discord server or over video, Um, I also think that I wanted to say, um, to, who is it? I think Bonnie, um, if you want to, um, send me a video, um, of you working with them, uh, to get a review and it's less than 30 minutes, just shoot me a message and we can work something out. Um, you know, if, if you want that, if the podcast wasn't helpful enough, stuff like that is a little bit easier to do with a video. And that is one drawback of being at the lower tiers. But I also understand $35 a month is a little bit pricey. But at the same time, you know, like how much do you pay for traditional training uh, twice a week for an entire month? That's, you know, 50 to 60 to $70 twice a week, um, four times or eight times a week, I guess, or eight times a month. I mean, so that ends up quickly. So $35 for the month, I'm a little bit cheaper, but anyway, I, I just wanted to say that that is an option. You know, if it's less than 30 minutes, we can work out, um, a price that is, um, lower. So with that, I think we can go ahead and wrap up this episode so I can get out of here. I am sorry that I waited so long to do it, but you know what? You're getting an episode and it's not late. That is what (laughs) I am proud of because it is the end of the year and I have done, I think I've only been late like twice this year, which is absolutely nuts. Every single Tuesday I've done an episode and I just, ugh. I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud. And next year is going to get better. I'm planning on doing a lot for the podcast. The next episode is going to have a very special guest on. So be sure to tune in for that episode. I'm actually going to talk to her tomorrow, which is going to be Tuesday, the day that this comes up for you. Um, so when, when you're hearing this episode, the day that it drops, I will be recording the episode with the guest for next week. And that episode, I think, is going to be really, really interesting. And I'm very excited to hear what this guest has to say. So I hope you guys are as stoked as I am about it. And then after that, the next episode is going to just kind of be um, the year-end conclusion, goals for the next year kind of episode. And I'm excited to, like, sit down and kind of talk that out with you guys, I guess, and really get that cemented. Because that's something I've been wanting to kind of delve into here on the podcast, but just haven't had an opportunity. Um, And then honestly, the first week of January, I might uh, take the week off just to kind of recoup before school starts back up. And um, I don't know, I haven't decided if that's set in stone yet or not, but uh, we'll see. And, uh, you know, I I haven't taken a break all year, so I feel like I need, need to take one. But Uh, I don't really want to, is the thing. But yeah, there's a lot that's happening next year, and I can't wait to share it with you guys, and hopefully I'll be able to talk about everything soon. But yeah, I think that's that's about it. We'll be starting a new season in the new year, and hopefully season four will go all the way through 2021 at least. And uh, 
I'm, I'm hoping to bring a new look, a website, and a bunch of different stuff for the the podcast and make it the highest quality that I can for you guys. So I'm, I'm really excited. The podcast is definitely my favorite thing that I do. So thank you guys so much for supporting and listening. If you would like to join the Patreon, you know where to find it at patreon.com slash equitheory. If you would like to follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, I do often share some things on those platforms. Feel free to look us up at Equitheory. Um, if you have any questions about the podcast, feel free to email me at equitheory at gmail.com. If you would like to ask a question about your training and your horse, however, that is reserved for Patreon. Um, yeah, I think that is going to go ahead and end this episode, guys. Um, well, I guess the other places you can find me are on YouTube at Equitheory, and you can also find... Uh, Jet Equithery on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. But that is going to end this episode. Thank you to everybody who asked questions and gave this episode some content this week. And with that, I am going to go ahead and say farewell. Be sure to subscribe and review if you can. I love you. The end. Goodbye. Okay. No, wait. You hang up. Okay. No. No. Seriously. No. No. You hang up. No. Okay. No, you hang up. No. Hang up. Oh my god, hang up. Okay, no. Okay, fine. Oh wait. Oh, I bumped the mic. My bad. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks you guys. Bye.